Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show today, Chris Parks, CFO at Neurologics. Chris joined Neurologics in April of 2016. As a former manager in PwC's Emerging Company Services Group, Chris provided mainly assurance and advisory services to a portfolio of early-stage technology companies. Chris is a chartered professional accountant and holds honors bachelors of accounting and financial management and masters of accounting degrees from the University of Waterloo. So enough from me, it's time to hear from Chris himself, CFO at Neurologics. Thanks for coming on the show, Chris. Uh, it's great to have you on here. So tell me, prior to joining Neurologics, you're at PwC in their Emerging Company Services Group. Talk to me about uh, your journey to Neurologics. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I guess there's a kind of a few storylines to, to tie together here. A, a number of years back, I was in the assurance group at uh, PwC, yeah. where I worked on a company. Uh, you know, one of my clients was a company called Ruggedcom. And Ruggedcom's founder and mm-hmm. former CEO uh, was Marzio Pozzuoli, who's actually the co-founder and CEO of Neurologics. Ah, okay. So, I, I didn't really have uh, too much interaction with him at that time, sure. but that was kind of the, the foundation. Yeah. Um, and while working on Ruggedcom, the senior manager on PwC's side was Eugene Bamba. Okay. And he's a fantastic guy, yeah. very involved in Toronto's startup community. And Eugene actually went on to lead PwC's Emerging Company Services right. practice, yeah. which I joined in 2013. So that was working kind of exclusively with the tech startups and gained some you know fantastic experience sure. working with those kind of companies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, shortly after Marzio started Neurologics, he reached out to Eugene asking, you know, is there anyone you might be able to recommend? Sure. Uh, and then after I met with Marzio a few times and met with the Neurologics team, I, I joined the company and, you know, I've been there for about nine months now. Awesome. So when you started at Neurologics, mm-hmm. like how many, how many people were on the team? Oh, uh, there was, uh, you know, from the time of my first involvement to when I started, we, they, they might have grown from, you know, like three to... to Six. Okay. And now we're at, you know, uh, close to 20. Oh, wow. So you, since you joined, it's kind of taken off and, and grown as well. Yeah. 
quite rapidly. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. So th that's a very interesting story. So, t so tell me a bit more, I guess, about what Neurologics does. And then you mentioned RuggedCom. Uh, I don't know if it, I, I don't know what they do. So yeah. it's worthwhile piecing all that together. So, so RuggedCom is, was a bit different. That was kind of as the name suggests. It's rugged networking equipment. Okay, cool. Um, so, so kind of a hardware play with some embedded software. Sure. Different business. Uh, Marcio wanted kind of a new challenge, so he stepped into <laughs> and stepped into neurologics. So, neurologics, kind of from a technology perspective, what we do is we take video that's taken with a normal camera, whether mm -hmm. that's you know phone, GoPro, webcam, okay, just just normal camera, any kind of just recording device, yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah, and we use that video file and we we extract facial blood flow from oh, it. Whoa, that's so, cool. Yeah, so so. With that facial blood flow, we turn that into some kind of meaningful information with, with our neuroscience uh, expertise and machine learning algorithms. Hmm. So, so there's a few different applications of kind of what we can do with that facial blood flow. Um, and I'll go through three of them. Uh, the first being health. And that's kind of measurement and monitoring of a person's vital signs. Okay. Uh, so you have applications there, like an obvious one might be telemedicine. Sure. Right. Yeah. Where you're already looking at the person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it could be initial screening uh, or assessment, and you could even integrate it into some kind of consumer apps. Mm. And the real benefits with with what we do for these is that it's a non-invasive technology. Okay. It, it's fast and yeah. it's efficient. I Got mean, it. in most cases, you have a computer or phone for these applications. Yeah. There's really no other hardware that you really need. Right, right. Now, kind of stepping on, on the next level there is emotion detection or okay. hidden emotion detection. Okay. Um, and that's, again, using the neuroscience and machine learning background to, to try to understand a person's true emotions. Hmm. And th there's quite a few companies out there right now that are doing this based on expression recognition to try to get at the emotion side. Okay. And it's actually a pretty active industry. Apple acquired a company called Emotient who was yep. doing this yep. uh, in early 2016. And more recently, Facebook acquired a company called uh, Facio or Faciometrics. Interesting. Um, so it is active. Uh, some of the bigger kind of tech players yeah, are, yeah, yeah. are looking at this. But most of these companies that are doing this based on expression, their core technology is kind of dated back to studies that were done in the 1970s hmm. by a doctor called Paul Ekman okay. um, that was classifying facial muscle movements and trying sure. to correlate them to emotion. But we see there being a couple of problems with doing it this way in that, you know, if I'm watching a movie or TV show, maybe 90% of the time I'm sitting there with just a neutral expression on my sure, face. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm not happy, sad, right, right. Or, you know. In addition to that, you may have some intentional or unintentional kind of deceptive yeah. expressions whereby it's not necessarily hard to smile even though you're feeling sad. <laughs> so, so they might not be getting really at the, the true emotion of kind of what's happening underneath right. the surface. But with the blood flow, that, yeah, that, it's hard to hide that. Exactly. Like you can't <laughs> right, really right. hide that or, or, or influence that easily. So yeah. with the emotion side, you have a number of different applications for, say, market research okay. or you know tailoring a user's content based on how they're feeling, if yeah. you know that. Uh, or, or really interesting is if you could embed this kind of emotion engine into a device hmm. and make that device emotionally aware, it would have a much better time interacting with a person and right. understanding what that person wants. So number of really interesting applications there. And kind of the last one I'll go over in, in terms of what uh, we could do with the technology is deception detection. 
Huh. This one usually captures people's yeah. attention. But it, it's <laughs> saving a, the best uh, best one for last. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of an extension of you know someone smiling who's not feeling happy, but it's kind of huh. that disconnect yeah. in terms of you know what you're showing versus what you're actually feeling. Sure. Um, and you know, and not something that's easy to do because there's no single universal response for when someone is lying. Right. But it could be used. Um, you know, applied to something like security screening is kind of an additional piece of information mm -hmm. to suggest, you know, we should look at this person further, something like that. Sure, sure. So, yeah, there's, uh, on the technology side, you can watch a, a really good TED Talk that uh, our CSO and co-founder, Kong Lee. Cool. Uh, yeah, we'll link did. it in the in the episode yeah, so it's, people can uh, check it's, that out. It's a really good one. Yeah, awesome. Well, it sounds like, based on what you're describing, Neurologics is a pretty research-intensive mm -hmm. company to date. And there's a lot of commercial applications of it, like you mentioned. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like Neurologics is pre-revenue at this stage. Yeah, we are. Okay, so I want to dig into that a bit more because mm -hmm. you, you started pretty early at, at Neurologics in terms of the when the company started and, and so on. Mm -hmm. That's pretty uncommon for companies to hire a finance leader right out of the get-go. So, you know, why does a pre-revenue company require a finance leader uh, like yourself? And what kind of kinds of things are you working on day in, day out if you're not really have any books to manage from a revenue standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll start with kind of why I think a, a pre-revenue company still needs a finance sure. leader. And obviously I have a bit of a biased perspective. <laughs> um, but but I know our, our CEO, Martio, feels uh, feels the same way, which, sure. is, which yeah. is fortunate for me. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> but I, I know he took a similar approach at his first company, Ruggedcom as well, mm -hmm. um, where, where he didn't really have... Um, he, he's an engineer sure, um, yeah. and he has some business experience obviously but when he started that company he hired department leaders uh, early on got it to, to manage you know finance uh, HR uh, the engineering side sure yeah um, essentially recognizing that you can't know all of these different functions and that each of these different functions can pose risks mm -hmm. to the business if not correctly managed. Yeah. So the best entrepreneurs know what they don't know. Exactly. Right. And yeah. So that that that's a very good point. Exactly. So so that was kind of his approach, and he's taken the same approach with with Neurologics here. So I should also say that not all pre-revenue companies are going to need a finance leader, especially if finance isn't going to be strategic to that business. So for example, if you have a service company that's being run by one person, you probably don't need a dedicated finance leader. But depending on the company's plans, growth potential, expected financing, and complexity of the business, maybe you do need that finance person, and maybe it does make sense to bring them on while you're still pre-revenue. And that's mainly because it's really impossible for a finance team that's expected to be strategic to the business to be built from the bottom up, as opposed to from the top down, starting with that finance leader. And what I typically saw with many startups is that they'd first hire a bookkeeper, and they'd be a third-party, part-time contractor who would just be expected to get receipts and record transactions. And they're probably not going to be involved in any of the strategic decisions, and they may not even really understand the business. So how could you ever expect that person to create a proper forecast or implement appropriate cash controls or come up with an appropriate pricing model if they aren't really included in running the business? So in that situation, the company still isn't operating with a finance function, rather they just have a bookkeeper. And as the company grows, there comes a time where the, the missing finance person, the missing finance leader that they need can't really be ignored anymore. 
And that may be triggered, you know, through a round of financing, just the size of the business, or maybe the founders getting uncomfortable with the current arrangement. So the new finance leader usually steps in and they're in cleanup mode for, you know, it could be six months, it could be a couple of years. And it's messy when this person steps in because the bookkeeper had little oversight or, or direction in the past. So that, that bookkeeper may have been perfectly competent, but again, how could you expect them to implement controls or make a significant business decision if they aren't involved in that business? So even if they wanted to make a change, you know, who, who are they supposed to report to? Do, are, they, are they supposed to talk to an operations person? Do they report to senior management? Maybe it's a founder. So again, I think it's really impossible to build that strategic finance function from the bottom up. So a company needs that finance leader to demonstrate the tone and values and implement controls and processes and, and set expectations because the finance department itself is one where structure is important. I will say that even without revenue, there still can be lots to do, especially, you know. So, so let's, let's dig into that. Yeah, because yeah. what are you doing day to day? Like, there's no revenue, so you're twiddling your thumbs? I, uh, I don't think so. No, <laughs> no. So I'll go through kind of a listing of things that I'm, that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking out for. Sure, here. yeah, yeah. Um, and aside from the basic, you know, accounting, tax, uh, mm-hmm. bookkeeping type stuff, you've also got, you know, budgets and forecasts you should be looking at. Right. And with our business, you know, the applications I described, they're all very different in terms of the market, mm. who the potential customers are, right. who, the, who the competitors are. So all of these things, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, um, it's very involved looking at all of this because yeah. you have to look at it from a different perspective. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot to kind of know about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about these different markets. Kind of ext- and an extension onto that is the revenue models that might be applied as well. Right. Right. Because you might, you might very different. Uh, a SaaS model might work for one of those applications whereby an enterprise model would have to work for another mm-hmm. or by you, you might have you know kind of a um, a largely free model for right. for a consumer application yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know tying all that stuff with the market research together and then applying that into a forecast and you know there's quite a bit of so work then, to do. So then on that side, mm-hmm. um, are you then informing the broader, I guess, management team on like which applications to commercialize first because it has the, I guess, bigger market or like are you making these types of decisions and, and considerations as well as part of your Yeah, I mean, it's role? something, it, it's not something that would be that would be decided in isolation sure, uh, by finance, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's adding to the discussion because it, it, it's depending on how the technology, uh, the, the development of the technology goes as well. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe where we see the most traction in the market with potential interest. Sure. Uh, but all of these factors kind of come together and they're definitely part of our yeah. you know, meeting discussions in terms yeah, of yeah. where we want to go first. Right, it's right. not necessarily a clear path. So something yeah. that has to be looked at. Mm-hmm. But anyway, aside from that, you've got you know grants and other government programs you can look yeah. at. You've got fundraising activities that you know, you're always kind of monitoring. <laughs> um, you've got risk management and, and compliance stuff, whether it's reporting to, to shareholders and the board, insurance for, for mm. key people in the office. I've seen many startups from, uh, you know, my former clients. Sure, I've seen yeah. issues with things like EHT or no one looking at the cap table, some, some yeah. you know, basic stuff that can be missed. Because um, if you don't have a dedicated person who's, yeah, responsible, like who's responsible for looking yeah, for all that, at, at startups, especially at the earlier stage, 
everyone's wearing multiple hats. But yeah, it seems like what you're saying is there needs to be someone at least dedicated to having that finance hat, even mm-hmm. as early as, as pre-revenue. Because it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate and you're not even like uh, managing kind of day-to-day revenue and things like that yet. Yeah, and I mean the finance stuff I think can quickly kind of fall through the cracks as other people get busy, mm-hmm. you know, it probably piles up and of course, it's yeah. a bit ignored in that it could right, be in that right. case. So, I mean... There, there's tons that could be done. Like I'm looking at uh, legal as well, looking right. at all the contracts and agreements. Uh, there's some office admin stuff. We're fortunate enough to have uh, an HR person, uh, nice. but there's still some uh, HR yeah. stuff that I'll get involved with. And I mean, normally that function on an early stage finance person, they, they're yeah. usually taking on HR yeah, yeah. as well. Uh, some IT. Uh, I'm involved with a lot of our IP considerations, whether it just be interacting with our lawyers or within our agreements, making sure all our IP is protected because obviously yeah. you know, an investor coming in, a VC afterwards, sure. is going to be a big consideration for us. You've got strategic planning and then kind of what I've touched on before, some some market research and you know, yeah. putting together slide decks and all that kind of thing. So yeah, so lots you're, to do. You're, you're definitely busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so then moving on to, you know, you, you touched on a lot of these already, but what do you think is the importance of a finance function at an early stage tech company? And you touched on a, some of these already, but yeah, so, so I think overall it's it's probably to form a, a solid base for the company on which to grow. And to do that, you have to uh, the finance person's going to have to keep things organized. From financial results to cap table mm-hmm. to contracts, uh, they're going to have to generate useful information for decision making. Yeah, and that can be you know budgets, forecasts, could be a cohort analysis if we're lucky enough yeah, to yeah. have revenue. <laughs> we're kind of churn. It could be pricing sensitivity to you know make some pricing decisions. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to manage risk, and that's not necessarily avoiding risk, but understanding the risks that a startup has to take to, again, make better decisions. And then, of course, you have to manage cash. Yes. Cash is king. (laughs) Absolutely. So that spans a whole bunch of different activities from, you know, knowing when you're going to need money to raising money to collecting receivables to implementing controls around cash Mm. to budgeting. and, And all of those might be kind of the more comfortable finance side of planning and saving money, sure. but then maybe more importantly is knowing when to spend and what to spend on right. to kind of fund that future growth. So yeah. uh, obviously a very important uh, function of, uh, of finance. Overall, I'll say, I, I hope I've made a somewhat compelling uh, argument <laughs> for, for why a finance leader is, is needed, yeah, but I know I I'm so. not going to convince you know, every, every founder out there that they need right. to hire this person. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like it's going to be different from business to business. Yeah. Like you were saying, like some, some businesses you'll need to establish that right away because it's maybe in a highly regulated industry mm-hmm. or there's opportunities to apply for grants and, and research intensive, uh, applications like that as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, like you're saying, I think it will vary across the board, but it seems like what you're saying is it should be something that, that founders uh, consider earlier on. Yeah. And I mean, if you're, if if you're a finance person kind of looking to get into a startup, hmm. especially early on, I don't think you would have much chance if you're marketing yourself as just a finance person. 
you've right. got to you've got to be able to show that you're going to be able to take on a lot of these different tasks yeah. and and add value to other areas of the business aside from just the finance side. You can use that as kind of your uh, your your strong sil- skill set yeah. and, and kind of what you fall back on, but you need to be able to to offer Do more. more. So okay, on that, I want to. It seems like you're doing a lot more than just the core finance, like you said. Like you're doing legal, you're doing a bit of HR stuff, uh, and you're you know managing a lot more than just what people would consider a traditional finance. Mm-hmm. And so for you especially, what has been the the transition process like? And you know, going from an environment where you're mostly doing accounting and finance related functions, advising clients and kind of seeing it from an outsider's perspective to now being in there at, at the company, at Neurologics, what, what has that been? And, and you know, the, the role as you went into it is probably not defined. So how has that transition been for you? Yeah, so I found I found this change, uh, you know, much much more enjoyable, kind of doing what I am now. And I think it's a lot easier to get excited about the work you're doing when when you can kind of see the big picture and kind of see yeah. uh, how what you're doing is kind of influencing the company and its development overall. Sure. So so to kind of compare that to uh, the the accounting firm, I think a lot of people, including me, kind of get uh, you kind of get a bit tired of. You know, if you're part of a big uh, audit team on a big sure. client, you get yeah. you get lost in some details. You don't even know what the person beside you is working on. <laughs> you, you know, you never really connect with that. Yeah. So, I was fortunate enough to have kind of a more gradual transition when I joined the Emerging Company Services Group at yeah. PwC because it was normal for us to kind of get pulled into uh, those higher level business meetings or discuss strategy with the client. Hmm. So, so you got to see more from that perspective. And for most of my former clients, um, I was the first point of contact whenever they had a question, um, regardless of whether it was my area of expertise or Fair not. Enough, so yeah. if it was accounting, if it was tax, if it was shred, or if it was something like, uh, is this contract wording standard for our <laughs> business? I'd get the question and you know I'd have to find the answer. Right. Um, but it kind of helped me develop the more you know, holistic approach to, to looking at these things, yeah. which which is much more kind of similar to what to what I'm actually using now. So, I would I would say that the transition's been a welcome one for me. Nice. But you know, if there's if there's a problem in any area of the business that that we're kind of facing now, I never really want to hide behind kind of the finance function and say you know like not my problem. Right. Right. So. You know, I want to be trying to add value by trying to anticipate and, and, and see these problems hmm. before, you know, they really become problems. So, yeah, something that you're kind of still constantly trying to work on improving because yeah. it is a bit of a transition coming from a much more kind of detailed, defined role right, as, right, right. as part of the accounting firm. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, you've kind of gone through this transition where you're part of the accounting and finance background, then through the uh, accounting firm at PwC, then, you know, through through startups there. Would you say it's, quote unquote, easier for a finance, quote unquote, again, finance guy to pick up the operating skills or for an operating guy to pick up the finance skills? Yeah, so again, a uh, bit of a biased view here, but for, <laughs> for me, I'd say uh, easier for finance picking up the operating skills. Not not necessarily easy, but mm-hmm. I would say easier. easier. Right, yeah, relative, exactly, yeah. Exactly. I think a lot of the accounting and, and finance skills come from more technical knowledge that have probably less to do with this uh, specific business and rather more 
kind of rules to be mm-hmm. followed. So it's going to be hard for, for someone to pick that up, you know, like on the job or yeah. even on your own, which is probably why the phrase self-taught accountant doesn't really <laughs> inspire much confidence. But, a, a, you know, a good finance person also needs to have a good understanding of the business overall, hmm. which is obviously key to operation. So it's right. something that you kind of should have. It doesn't really, again, it doesn't really work as well the other way around uh, where the finance skills aren't necessarily unique to each business. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be similar in, within an industry, but sure. not necessarily on the business side. So, yeah. you know, in, in either case, whatever might be easier you need the right person to bridge both. I mean, if you're purely a numbers detailed oriented mm-hmm, person, mm-hmm. the operation side still isn't going to come easy. Right. And you know, if you if you don't want anything to do with the numbers <laughs> as an operations person, you're going to have it's going to be challenging. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you you kind of got to maintain that open mind and and like you were saying, anticipate what's going to be challenging or what's going to be problematic from a whole business standpoint yeah. than just being defined by what your role is. Exactly. Especially it's coming back to like that whole business view you, you've yeah. got to be taking, especially in a startup where, mm-hmm. where you are wearing multiple hats. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Great. Well, now what I'd like to do is hop into a quick fire round. And sure. so the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of uh, questions and um, we'll spend kind of 10 seconds uh, responding to them. Are you ready sure. for that? Yeah. All right, let's do it. So, Number one, what's your go-to online resource for all things uh, startup finance related? Uh, I'll say two. So, so for oh, you're cheating now. Oh, well, <laughs> for entrepreneurs.com, yeah. uh, David uh, Scott, yeah. really good stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, uh, mostly SaaS-based, but there's also uh, Bessmer. Uh, venture partners, they've got cloud computing laws. And, and again, yeah. a lot of SaaS-based stuff there, but right, really, right. really good information. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, your favorite productivity hack? Uh, I got <laughs> n- nothing really groundbreaking here. If I've got a number of tasks to work on during the day, yeah, I, I try to designate some time to at least start a whole bunch of them. And, okay. and first of all, that stops me from procrastinating, but also helps me assess. You know, if I thought a task was going to take three hours, yeah. If I work on it for twenty minutes, I can usually tell. Oh, I'm missing this piece of information, and right. it's actually going to take me five hours. Hmm. So it, it gives me a much better way to kind of plan my day and prioritize. Yeah. Just just kind of touching a number of different things and, and got it. Knowing what so I'm like doing. you'll come in and, and I know we're going over our ten second, but whatever. this is interesting. <laughs> You're cheating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Learn from you. Anyways, um, so when when. So when you come in in the morning, let's say you'll have like five things on your things that you want to get through that day. Yeah. You will touch each of those within like the, the morning yeah. just to gauge how long each of those will take you exactly. rather than finishing up one, then moving to two, three, four. Exactly. I found that if I kind of, if I kind of go on that approach one at a time, yeah. uh, they usually stretch out far too long Fair. And, and I could get them done faster because, you know, it's five o'clock now. I'm starting on task number five and yeah. I realize I needed to talk to this person because I don't know this piece of information. Right. I could have right. done that at 11 o'clock. Fair enough. So. Hmm. Very interesting. All right. Last one. One thing you don't leave the office before finishing. <laughs> so again, might sound uh, a little basic, but I like to have, uh, I like to have an idea of what I need to do the next day okay. versus what I'd like to do the next day. And that distinction is extremely important because every day something comes up that you don't expect and it can be a big right. task. Yeah. So I very quickly need to know which half of my list I can throw out and say, Got I it. really don't need to get this done, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I need to get these other two things done. 
So it's kind of a needs versus wants yeah. list for yeah. for the date, the yeah, next Because you're going to have unexpected stuff come up. Interesting. As, as I see that yeah. Especially as you're wearing multiple hats. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks again, Chris, for uh, coming on the show, talking to us about uh, neurologics, about what you're doing, and especially the importance of, of finance at an early stage uh, startup company. Yeah. Thank you for having me.